cliffcentral.com. It is a Thursday morning on cliffcentral.com. We are on the 8th of September already. It seems kind of crazy that just around the corner we will be at December and the end of the year. So if you're not ready for it, then join the club. I'm feeling the same way. It's time for the Burning Platform. This is our chance every week to catch up with current affairs, to talk about all the things that are going on in politics, uh, the things that are going on in society, in the economy that we need to pay attention to. And this morning, I'm very, very pleased, along with my co-host, Pumi Mashiho, to welcome two returning champions today, two people who have been guests on the Burning Platform a couple of times. It's always good to welcome them both. Uh, first up is Ernst Roots, who is the Deputy CEO of AFRI Forum. Ernst, it's good to have you back, and thanks for joining us. How are you? Hi, Gareth. Thank you. It's good to be back. Um, I'm doing very well. I had a very good week, and um, I've got a good day ahead of me. So, yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Oh, good. I like this optimism. So, obviously, that had nothing to do with the, an appearance that you made on Newsroom Africa the other day, which my producers sent to me. I watched this thing, which was probably about, it was like 14 minutes long. 45 minutes long. Jesus. Pumi, was it the most frustrating thing you've ever watched as well? 45 minutes long. I couldn't, I I actually couldn't say the full 45 minutes. No. And I don't know how you did, Ernst. I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that interview. It was, um, with Trevor. I actually actually thought it was going to be a, 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 just an interview, not a panel discussion or a debate. Hmm. And to be fair, I, I went back to my, my WhatsApps and I saw the first message they sent me was actually that it is going to be a panel discussion. Um, mm-hmm. So it was my mistake. But oh, but wow. um, there was this spokesperson from Azapu in the studio who kept yes. saying some really atrocious things to my mind. Obviously, he thought that I was saying atrocious things. And, and I really thought that some of his views were were. Eventually, I just said that I think some of these opinions he's expressing are are evil, and I've never well, said something like that. I mean, the most the most interesting thing to me was that he uh, seems to think you have a farm somewhere. Which, uh, if you do, it's time that you come clean on that and stuff. Yes, you can't so he, be, you know, he, can't be hiding your asset from size. He kept talking about my farm, and that's the. I mean, it's just I, I don't know. It's just maybe just part of what the media landscape is like. Is sometimes you get you know accused of things or you know. Claims are made about you that aren't true, and you don't. You get frustrated that you don't get time to to you know to to put it right. So I think once or twice during the interview, I tried to get him to respond to you know to to explain to people where is this so-called farm that I have, and and so he mm-hmm. just kept talking about my farm and he needs to take my farm. And, and well, I mean, you know, it's amazing. Like there's some farm, people, but I don't have one. Yeah, there's some people who who really do believe all the racial stereotypes, like all Afrikaans people have to have farms. You know, all black people are poor. Um, all, yeah. uh, all, all Kosa people, uh, all Kosa women are like, uh, aggressive with, with their husbands that, you know, it's such, such nice racist stuff that people peddle out there. Anyway, it's good to have you back. And we've got a very specific thing that we want to talk to you about. So we're not going to keep you for the entire burning platform, but we'll get to that in a moment. I also want to welcome an old friend of the show and someone who everybody loves having here. And that is Lito Ndoba. How are you, Lito? I'm good, and you guys? Good, man. You, you're laughing. You don't think people like having you on. They love it when you're on. You're the only one who, <laughs> anyone who, who uh, first of all, gets everybody equally riled up, which is part of it. And, and I think, you know, Pumi and I find ourselves agreeing with you like 90% of the time, and the other 10%, we like vehemently opposed to what you're saying, but we haven't had one of those for a while. So I have you're a feeling. shocked and horrified. Yeah, I have a feeling, guys, and, and we'll get an update from Lieto just now about what's going on in Velkom because that place is just – it's like a canary in the coal mine for what will happen to small towns South Africa if we continue down the path that we're on. And that's why it's good to keep up to date with what he's been telling us about the parties and how they're behaving and what kinds of politics are happening on that on that level. It's very important that we keep checking in with, with Lieto, even though for you, Lieto, it must be very depressing to have to share all of this stuff with us. It is, it is quite depressing, but I think I'm making a little bit of progress. Um, so mm-hmm. when I was doing my shopping, one of the mayor's representatives came and talked to me and said, no, no, you know, please stop talking about the garbage truck. We're actually trying to fix it. Um, it's not our fault this time. Somebody, um, left it out there, didn't take it to the machine shop. So they're, they're listening. They're hearing me. Okay, good. All right. Listen, if we can, 
like this, all we want for this show the, at the base level is to like inform people of what's going on, give people a different point of view. But if we can actually make change, wow, then we're succeeding in, in all the ways. And then I'll, I'll be as happy as Ernst is. All right. So guys and girls, let's get, let's get straight into this. Um, because it is the topic of the moment. It's something that the audience has been asking Pumi and I to, um, have our say on. I have had my say, so I'm going to keep my part brief, but we got to talk about this hate speech case. Uh, the kill the Boer case, as it's been called. I want to start off by just saying uh, that the, the, the status at the moment is that the court uh, found, this is the equality court, found that it is not hate speech to sing kill the Boer. Um, Afri Forum has, of, of course, appealed that case, and they're going to take it up a level where they mm-hmm. hope to have it declared hate speech. Now, Ernst, I haven't had this conversation with you before, but in some ways you, you've kind of paradoxically done me a favor because the more narrow hate speech is, the more I can get away with on my show. The more, the more narrow, like I, I feel obviously, you know, if someone says kill X, Y, and Z, to me, that's, you know, clean cut kind of incitement and all the rest of it. And I don't understand what the judge might have thought here because all the things that the judge said didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but selfishly, I'm kind of pleased with this finding and I don't want you to appeal because to my mind, if hate speech is so narrow that even saying kill Gareth or kill Pumi is not hate speech, then I can say whatever I want. Then we truly have almost a first amendment of the United States kind of hate speech where even incitement in the form of like kill X, Y, and Z isn't enough to get you into trouble. Yeah, well, well, maybe a brief comment on that. So, so when the Constitution was drafted, there was this debate about which model should be followed in terms of freedom of speech, which is obviously a cornerstone, if not the cornerstone, of a free and a democratic society. And there were there are broadly two models, which people call the American model and the German model. And the American model is, as you say, as as free as it can possibly get in terms of what you can say. And then the mm-hmm. German model is slightly more limited due to their history, among others. Um, so there are certain limitations. And, and the South Af- in the South African legal system, we follow the German model, which says that that you have a right to freedom of speech, but it does not extend to uh, incitement of violence, propaganda for war, and hate speech. Um, so, yeah, and I think it, it becomes a bit um, ambiguous, you might say, that the thing is there are different cases running. There have been many cases about hate speech in South Africa. And, um, I mean, there's this one about kill the Boer, which you could say targets farmers or targets Afrikaners or the Boers, whoever you define as Boers. Then there, there, were, um, there was the Kualani case, which dealt with hate speech towards gay people. And, I mean, there are many others. You know, we had the Penny Sparrow and we had uh, Vicky Momberg and, and all of that. So the challenge here is that we need to find a principle or a way to apply the law with regard to hate speech that can be applied consistently. I mean, the flag is a good example. So, so you have to, we have to get to some form of an interpretation of the law that can be applied consistently to kill the Boer and to the flag and to hate speech towards gay people and to hate speech towards black people and, and so forth and so forth. And, and it seems that we are struggling to get there. Uh, when I say we, I'm talking about us in the broad sense of the word. So, First of all, Lito, what's your point of view on all of this? Because you've obviously been watching the story evolve as well. What do, what do you think of this uh, current situation? Um, you know, I, I like the way um, that Ernst puts it, that we are struggling with it, right? And we have to struggle because the whole thing is not a contextual. So if it was a contextual, like if, if I came up, if my incitement is kill Gary, right? There's no context mm-hmm. to that. Even if, like, if I don't know you, even if we are, like, casual on some level that we've been on the same show, if I say to you, kill Gareth, then the acontextuality of it, yes, makes it hate speech, because why do you want to kill Gareth? Now it's puzzling, right? But now the Mm. problem is the contextuality of South Africa, just like Ernst speaks about that there is uh, the German model, because the German model specifically takes into consideration the context in which Germany went through, right? The strife that the country went through. And so if we take our context into consideration as well, it is interesting because, one, how do we get to this place of the standard, right? Because the standard would be very, very harshly applied if one of the parties then says, oh, but you're saying this, but they said that because they were in a superior position. 
now that we are in a position that we could say something, you are saying we must stop. And so the 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 way in which the country must tackle it. And I think that the court cases are very important because to mm. some degree, it's it's to push the system to a place where we now start to heal. Because people think people are, we healed when we came together and started talking at Codesa. That was the beginning stages of the healing. Now we have to be practical about the healing to say, what does a healed wound look like, right? It is a wound. Somebody murdered somebody because they were black one day. Somebody murdered somebody because they were white one day. And it was a political way in which they interacted with each other. Now we say we're trying to get to a basis where what is base level wound healing of this contextual past that we're talking about? And I think the the court case, but also about how um, Afriforum and Instagram tackled the case. They could have actually won the case, right? Um, and actually, in the way in which Julius Malema speaks particularly, right? I think the kill the boar part for me was a wrong way to tackle him, right? Um, there were other ways to tackle him, which he was actually quite akin to and almost slipped up in when he was being cross-examined in the case. And so I think the way in which you tackle Julius Malema in the way he speaks would be better suited, not with the songs, but with actual things that he said. And he always catches himself out. And I think when you push it in that direction, it will start to put the baseline because the songs, like I said, have a contextual past to them. And so the context that he always puts down, like I was listening to that, to that, the whole cross examination. I was literally on my way to Virginia to go kids tease out to debate, kids out to debate. For the whole hour, I listened to the way in which he contextualized the song in and of itself. And it's very, very hard to get you out of the context, especially if you know the the, the past of, of the, the country's past. Mm. Mm, it's an interesting. It's an interesting take on it, and I think context does matter. I think you know Ernst was nodding his head too. I think context massively important. Pums, what's your opinion on this? Because people have been asking you for like a week and a half to say what you think about it. <laughs> And I was so glad that we didn't get to talk about it last week um, because I hadn't, I, I still haven't had the chance to read the judgment. Because again, we talk about context. It's important to understand. So why reading the judgment is important is it will give you a view on what the parameters the judge used to come to the conclusion that he came to. Because again, you, you know, laws, and you know this, Gareth, about court experiences are more than just about the base of what I think, what the person thinks or feels. It is about what the laws say. And it is testing it against that law. That's, that, and, and so, you know, that for me, all I can say in this conversation, not having read the judgment, is that I think uh, one step closer to testing each other's tolerance around what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. But I do think, um, I've been watching a lot of Newt Gingrich, believe it or not, over the past couple of weeks. And he talks about uh, releasing rabbits. And, and this is a, a thing that, a, a presentation that he gave, I think, two years ago. Um, and speaking particularly about Donald Trump. And he, you know rabbits, when you like release rabbits, and this is the media attention span that we have. Then they chase after the rabbits. You see how when rabbits are out, then the way the dogs chase after the rabbits. And that's how we all are, all of us, because of Twitter, because of the 24-hour news cycle. We all chase rabbits and we kind of consumed by this one thing, and that's what we pay attention to. And I, I feel this case, even then, even before I knew about the idea of chasing rabbits, is a rabbit. It is a rabbit. We're chasing a rabbit that we don't really have the luxury to chase. I think we are putting out some of our best minds uh, frivolously to use in some of these cases because we have bigger problems that we should be worrying about, that we should be finding solutions to. And we are not. We are busy chasing rabbits. We are looking at Cyril Ramaphosa watching a pothole being filled. We mm-hmm. are wondering if Julius Malema said kill or kiss. We are, and we live in a country 
with 60 million people, 11 million of those are living off a 350 grants the government cannot afford. Mm. But problems, we, we, can't, we can't help this. I mean, I'm, I'm going to let... I'm going to let Ernst um, reply to that in a second, but we can't help this. I mean, you're right about chasing rabbits. This is what distracts us. This is what grabs our attention. If someone uses the, if someone uses the K word anywhere in South Africa now, it will be front page news by tomorrow because God forbid someone should use that word, right? And, and I think there would be very few people who would say, oh, that's not hate speech, even though it's not necessarily inciting violence. It certainly is racist and wrong considering our past. And again, this is where it was context comes into it but Ernst do you think that we are chasing rabbits do you think that, clearly you guys have put money behind this you're, you're taking it up on appeal you don't think this is a rabbit chase well in a way in a way I can concede and say yes we are but I think again the, the, the answer to that goes back to, to the whole point about context while he was speaking now I opened up the, the French um, national anthem uh, the English version thereof, because I know that was used or has been used in the past in defense of songs like Kill the Boer, Kill the Farmer, and Dubalai Bunu. So I'm just going to read the, the, quickly the English translation. And that, this is the, the official French national anthem. It says, Arise, children of the fatherland, our day of glory has arrived. Against us the bloody flag of tyranny is raised. The bloody flag is raised. Do you hear in the countryside the roar of those ferocious soldiers they're coming right into your arms to cut the throats of your sons, your comrades. Um, I mean, this is very, you know, you could say this is hate speech. How can someone sing something like this? But um, and the reason why I'm, why I'm mentioning this is because this has been used as an argument against us. But yeah, the, this the, actual, back to, sorry, the, the line that I think people use in, in Le Marseille's, uh, which, is, which is particularly egregious to, to those who are like on the hate, hate speech side of the argument, is where they say, kill all those people of impure blood. I mean, that's, yes. that's, a, that's a pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty hardcore thing to say. And what they mean yeah, there if is that's not hate speech. What is hate speech? Yeah. Yes. I mean, those are the ones who but, don't fully believe in the revolution, so to speak. Yeah. So, so the reason why I mentioned this as something that is usually has been, you know, argued against our position is that you have to consider context. So this song is about the French revolution. Um, the same way it is often said that not often said the same way it is, you know, we, we, the, it is said that this, Kill the Boer, Kill the Farmer, and Dubla Ibunu is about the struggle. But the difference here is that the French Revolution is, is, was hundreds of years ago. It was a thing of the past. There are not people running around in France, you know, um, stabbing people to death and raping them in the streets and beheading people and putting their heads on spikes and, and things like that. The, the problem here in South Africa is we still – South Africa still is a very violent country. And South Africa does still have a – serious problem when it comes to farm murder. So obviously I'm not suggesting that farm murders is the only crime problem. I mean, we have many other crime phenomena, violence against women and children and so forth. But one of the many crime problems that we have is farmers being attacked and killed and sometimes tortured. And sometimes during these farm attacks, people chant political slogans. They make political statements while they're attacking the farmers. And so this is part of the context that we have to consider is you have politicians chanting, kill the boy, kill the farmer, or singing Dubula Ibunu, and then you have farmers being murdered where the, where the attackers write the words Dubula Ibunu on the wall of the farm, uh, the farmhouse. So that's part of the context here. And I think that's, that's what, what we need to consider, or one of the things. And if you consider this, I don't think this is a rabbit hole. I have a question. Do you sure. think then that if th there's a farm murder and the words kill the boer, are uh, written on the, the wall. And these people are caught and brought to court, right? They have been, they, they've been arrested and now they are facing trial. Mm. Do you think the fact that those words were written on the wall will change in any way the, the sentencing, the court case that they have to stand up against? Is it going to make a difference to the weight of the crime that they have committed? Is, is it important? That, that's a good question. Um, I, I think it does because then it brings it into the realm of hate crime, of, of murdering someone because you hate that person based on his or her identity. Um, and, and that is something I know in South Africa, we don't have hate crime, uh, you know, hate crime laws as such, but it's something that's, you know, generally regarded as a, a serious phenomenon in the world. So 
So to so the question is if someone kills if a white person kills a a black person you know in you know at a shopping center or whatever concept you know just you know default concert, um, circumstances as opposed to Baron Stradom that guy who, who took a gun and you know deliberately went because he wanted to kill black people and he went into a, you know I think to a, onto a bus 20 years ago or something and he just started killing people because they are black is but there a both. difference? The Witwolf, yes. So I would say if you if you go out and you murder people because you hate them based on their identity, it is worse. And I think we should. It's not so much worse, worse or better for the victim, but it's it's worse for society at large. And it's something that we should see what we can do to to prevent this from happening, and also to to ensure that politicians and influential people don't encourage this on on public platforms. If I may, Gareth. Go ahead, Leto. Um, let, let me just muddy the waters for a little bit here, right? So, um, the song Dubuli Bunu, for instance, right? It is Kill the Boer song. Um, because contextuality is important, like, um, two months ago when the students were protesting writing exams, they were singing the very same song. And we have minimal white people here at CUT Welcome, right? And so, um, that's the first part to say, but this song is sang even outside the context of farm murders, right? There's no farm that the CUT owns, right? But then secondly, um, of course, it is um, hate crime if you go and murder somebody because of their race and their disposition. But then remember, there was also the case of the farm of, of the farm owner who, who shot and killed, I think, two kids and said, no, he thought it was a monkey. And so mm. that would have been in the same kind of context and auspices. And even that was not considered as hate speech when the when the um, prosecution tried to put it down as aggravated circumstances. So that's what I'm saying because contextuality matters. In South Africa, even if we have to grind down to it, right? I know Pumi doesn't like it, but I think it's important to grind down to the fact that one, even if these things are happening, do we really need to exacerbate why we think one hates the other? Because I think for the most part, no white person walks around hating a black person, right? And those are the things that we want to talk about. What actually is like something like racism, right? Racism is not me hating white people. It's actually me being ignorant of white people, right? So at the end of the day, we have to then get those definitions right, right? To then say, do we educate people out of their ignorance in order to get us closer together? Or do we have to keep talking about the schisms that keep these people apart and talk about how they hate each other? This might be hate if you do this. This might be hate if you do that. Because I think that that is just reinforcing the negative. And I think that's what we love in this country. We love scratching and clawing at each other with all of these negatives that lead nowhere. Mm. Yeah, we do. And and I think it's a a major preoccupation of ours, though. And I, I do think, look, Leto, there are racists. We come from a racist past, right? And I think nobody's going to sit here and deny that. There are some people who just hate. Not everybody's ignorant. Some people are actually just hateful. But they're a tiny, tiny minority. So if we can get perspective on how many of those people there actually are, it'll give us a much better reason to avoid falling into the the obvious pitfalls of making this headline news every time it happens. And it always seems to me that the media plays a huge role in this because it's like red meat for the vultures when you know when they can find a white person saying uh the k word if they can find a black person saying kill the boer then it's like ah, this is going to sell us some copy this is clickbait this is amazing this is what they love and we know that the average south african is the kind of person that you've described where most of the time we want to get along we want to make things happen i mean you could see it during those uh, KwaZulu-Natal riots last year, where people came together across all kinds of uh, racial lines. Uh, you had taxi drivers defending like middle-aged white women in shopping malls. You know, we had all kinds of interesting things happen there, which prove uh, yet again that South Africa is the kind of country where people would rather stick together than fall apart. Unfortunately, though, if you believe and you are principled about the fact that you don't want someone to say, that group of people needs to be killed, even if in the context of a song, it's part of a long struggle history and all of that stuff, then I suppose it's, you know, Ernst and, and the people at AFRI Forum are within their rights to pursue this legally. Now, you're going to appeal this, Ernst. What's your best possible outcome? 
Yeah, so um, um, I th- we, we, are, we have been engaging with our legal team. We have contracted Jeremy Gauntlet, who's one of the, um, the most senior advocates in, in, in the country, to, to lead the team as senior advocate. Um, and uh, say that again. At- very He's very, very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so, so we can to appeal just quickly. You, you can go to a full bench in the High Court, which means you're still in the High Court, but it's three judges. Um, or you can go to the Supreme Court of Appeals in Bloemfontein or the Constitutional Court. I mm-hmm. suspect this matter will end up in the Constitutional Court. Um, our legal advice at this stage is it's, it's best to go to the Supreme Court of Appeals because we suspect that the Constitutional Court would say, listen, you have to go to the Supreme Court of Appeals first. So we can petition to go directly to the Constitutional Court. But so I'm sure we will end up in the Supreme Court of Appeals for now. And we want the ruling to be overturned. And, and, and the, there are two main, I mean, I'll leave it to our legal teams, to our legal team, but there are two overarching things for me that struck me upon reading the judgment. One is, is I don't think, and we don't think that the definition of hate speech was applied correctly. Uh, and the second one is we don't think the court dealt with the witnesses um, appropriately. And I'm not only referring to myself, I'm referring to the victims of farm attacks who testified about the trauma they experience. Uh, they have been in a farm attack and they switch on the news and they hear people chanting, kill the boy, kill the farmer. And they testified about the trauma this causes. And the court did not consider that. The court said that it's not going to consider that. And I think that was a mistake. Hmm. Pums? Uh, well, I, I think that last statement, because what I really would like to know, having read the judgment and considered it, is, is there any part of that judgment that you feel the judge got any consideration right? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think there was a lot that the judge, the judge spoke about that we have to consider things in context. He spoke about the past in South Africa, and we have to consider that. He spoke about the importance of, of freedom of speech um, and, you know, that it's, that it's a fine line to tread when you talk about hate speech and the purpose of the Equality Act. And, and so I think there was a lot that the judge said that, that, that we agree with. Um, I'm just, me, me having read the judgment, my two main concerns are the two concerns I, I mentioned now. Yeah, but, right. um, yeah, with the judgment though, yeah, yeah, he he did really tell you apart specifically, right? But <laughs> um, you know, but the, the the witnesses for me, I get what you're saying, uh, how the trauma should have been considered, right? But you must remember how the judge also framed it and said, but he could not see the causal link between exactly. them and the song, and so that's the you see that's the thing, and that's that's. I, that's why I, I say some of your strategy sometimes it, it, it gets to me because you, you find yourself chasing the smaller things, if not the bigger things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you should have contextualized it in the way that Malema makes people feel alienated and not necessarily that the, the, the witnesses, because the witnesses, the way they were being crossed sounded like they were, some, they were people who were going to testify to being attacked while this song was being sang particularly by EFF members, right? And I think that in and of itself didn't do justice to them. What should have been done was reduced to how Malema addresses white people in general, right? Even though he says, yes, white people must still be included, but we're going to take the farms. He must then be synthesized to that, that alienation, and then link alienation to hate. Because you see, and that's why Gareth, I keep saying ignorance, and then racism, right? He, he alienates and then creates a sort of like ignorant corner and then can put you there and punch you and punch down on you and not make it that obvious that he's actually hating and going down on you, right? I'm sorry. No pun intended going down, yeah. right? <laughs> but so, so if you, if you get to think about it properly, the strategy is that Every forum holds for me. Don't get to the crux of the, to the nub of the matter. And at times that detracts from everything. And so please consider that when you're talking to your lawyers. Mm. My two cents from Belgium. <laughs> although, although you see an appeal, Leto, unfortunately you can't make new arguments. 
in an appeal. You cannot make no, any no. argument. And and that which you, that strategy which you are now talking about would be retrying. <laughs> in my opinion, I think for needs to abandon this part for me, right? Um, <laughs> and go back to Malema yeah, and the yeah. way in which he speaks about white people. One, mm. but secondly, the way in which he isolates them, even and then exacerbates it with a song. So he isolates. He says whites are the problem. Whites need to be taken care of, but then the problem is anthropomorphized into land. Right? It's moved. It's not whites, but the land that the whites own. They we need to dispossess them of that, and then sings the song. Right? Mm. If you make that link, that's when you say it's ignorance. And then because he is the one um, enacting the hate, he will then get his hate corner. And the people who understand what he's doing, his his dog whistling, then makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, who am I? Though, so I know what, I'm a guy in a small what town. What I know, what I'm hearing here is you should approach as a friend of the court. So, Ernst, in, uh, un, unwittingly, we may have uh, we may have added another party to this case. Look, yeah, um, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see what happens. As I said selfishly at the beginning of this, the, the more narrow and the more precise the definition for hate speech, the more we will, be fee- we will be free to really say what's on our mind. And I think there's so much. You can see this in America, which, again, we referred to at the beginning of this conversation. You can see how many people are afraid to say certain things because they will be called hateful and they'll have hate speech leveled as a charge against them and we see this happening particularly the left um has a habit of calling any any speech they don't enjoy hate speech mm-hmm. so i mean again in in some perverse way you've almost uh you you may have lost this this first stage of the case but in some way you've you've kind of won it for people who are against being labeled hate speech proliferators where they're actually just speaking their mind i mean so much of, yeah. of what what you say on a daily basis, Lieto, what you say, Ernst, what you say, Pumi, and what I say could be regarded as hate speech by people who are extremists yeah. who think that, mm. you know, who think that you should only be able to say things that please them. We have that problem mm. in the world. Nice things. Especially when you, when you, when you consider hate speech as something that is offensive. I mean, we've had this discussion before, but, right. but there's, it's very important not to take that line to say this is hate speech because it's extremely offensive. Because a lot of things are extremely offensive to a lot of people. So on that note, I heard you, sorry, Pums. Ernst, you said the other day uh, on one of these interviews that uh, hate speech without incitement is an offense. So in other words, saying offensive things. Sorry, let me start that again because that was incorrect. Saying offensive things is not in any way a crime. But hate speech with incitement to violence is a crime. Um, do you want to just explain that so that, that we can be clear? Because I don't yeah. even know that I've got that Okay, definition. Okay, so so there are three things. One is offensive speech, and then the other one is hate speech, and then the other one is incitement of violence. Okay. So offensive speech is just something that offends someone, and it could be very offensive or mildly offensive. If offensive speech becomes hate speech when it contains a call to action. So when right. you when you target a group of people based on who they are. Um, so if I say, we mentioned the example, kill Gareth, if I say kill Gareth, it's probably not hate speech because I'm not targeting you based on your identity. Um, if you target you mean, a group you of people, mention my name. Yeah, I, I'm, okay. It's not your group identity. If you look uh, at how the, the hate speech law is, oh, is, is that crazy. sounds like a, that sounds like a lot of leftist claptrap. That suddenly groups have uh, pri- privileges that individuals <laughs> do not. I mean, surely, yes. surely, surely it's even more dangerous to call for a particular individual to be assassinated. Yeah. Than it is. No, no, but we just into a group. That's when when Kremen and Uria comes in. So Kremen and Uria oh. only considers when you target a particular person, and not right. when you target a group. Um, so so when you target a group of people because they are white or black or Christian or Muslim or something to that effect, and then you call not necessarily for violence but for harm to be inflicted on them. So you say, for example we need to discriminate against black people because they are black or something to that effect, then that becomes hate speech. You call for society to take action against a group of people based on who they are, whether that's violence or, or you, when you say, when you see a black person in the street, you have to insult that person, you know, or spit at them or something like that. It's not violence. 
uh, in the technical sense of the word, but it, you know, it's still hate speech because you're calling for people to take action. And right. that's different from incitement. So incitement is when you, when you actually call on people to commit a crime. Um, okay. And the difference is, is, you know, sometimes hate speech is also incitement. So that, that's what, why the Equality Act, part of the Equality Act says you can take someone to court for hate speech and you can then ask for the matter to be referred to the Director of Public Prosecutions to consider whether a crime, the crime of incitement, was also committed. You know, right. I mean, I think the thing about the, the, the hate speech and the, the protections of freedom of expression is, do you remember that movie, The People versus Larry Flint? Like that, mm-hmm. that's one of the, the most like famous kind of uh, free, <laughs> freedom and the protection of your freedom of speech it was Larry Flint, mm-hmm. funny pornography. Of Hustler magazine. But, but that's, that's just the thing, right? Is when, when you are nice, when you are acceptable, when you are what, then you don't need the freedom. You don't need the protection. You don't need the protection. It is when you are inconvenient and it is when you are saying things that people don't want to hear you say that you then need the freedom and the protection of the law. So the, the thing about it is, and again, you know, we talk about context and we talk about here in South Africa, all of those things are this, this complete quagmire that we need to consider all the time. But I stand on the point that says, as much as this may sound for you like the, the most important thing in the history of important things, because it really, on the context of what is happening in our country, we should be spending our brain power and our energy and our time on the big things, and the big things really are. Yeah, but, but can't, can't AFRI Forum walk and chew gum at the same time? I mean, they are doing uh, a bunch uh, of other things. It's just one mm, of the things they're doing, aren't they? I but, mean, are you but, but this is also, no, are they? Are they really? It's not just about, you know, it's just, if it was happening in a small corner over there with AFRI Forum and the judge and Julius Malema, but it actually sucks the air out of the room for everybody else, too. Yeah, well, I, I, I really want to say that I agree with you, but, but unfortunately I can't because the reason why I can't is because this is probably the most important thing to, to the average AFRI Forum member. Uh, I don't think there's anything that they, or there are very few things. I can't think of anything now that the average AFRI Forum member regards as more important than for their immediate frame of reference. Uh, is is doing something about farm murders, the fact that, that farmers are being targeted and killed. And while farmers are being targeted and killed, um, and many of them are family members of them. I mean, I've had family members who've been murdered on farms um, and friends who've been murdered on farms. Um, and while this is happening, you have politicians romanticizing it and making jokes about it and then chanting, lit- if, if you take the words just at face value, encouraging this. So it's not just something that's sort of, on the fringe, it's it's a very very real reality. It's like if you live in a if if your most single most significant reality in your frame of reference is violence against women, and you you are a woman who are being beaten, and you have uh, friends who are women who have been killed by their husbands or something to that effect, and a politician goes on stage and and talks about why women should be beaten to keep them in line, it's going to be the most important thing for you to to address and with good reason. So I guess I guess. Different people cherish different things that should be dealt with as the most important thing in, in the country. Yeah, I mean, you, you yeah, have members. That's the story. Well, I mean, you, you have members, and those people are paying for you to, to, to chase this, the, the, whichever rabbit they want chased. Um, I mean, Cyril's going around doing photo ops around potholes. I'm going to let you go, Ernst, because I know you've got to go and do uh, the school run and a bunch of other things. But Leto, I want you to please stick around because we've got some other things on the agenda that I want to talk to you about. So Ernst Roots, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Um, I, I would say good luck with your appeal, but actually, selfishly, I'm against your success <laughs> at the next level. Uh, yeah, that makes so we'll sense. Speak you, <laughs> we'll, you. Speak, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Ernst. All right. Thank you for having me on. It was great as always. Good to see you. Um, And hopefully not as frustrating as some of the interviews that, that, I mean, Leto, you've been on some of these other shows where they just, I mean, a panel discussion becomes, we even had someone from the ANC on the other day 
was very frustrating for Pumi. Poor Pumi. She had to, she had to be accused of interrupting him the whole time just because she wanted to keep the show moving. So let's keep the show moving. Um, foreigner sentiment. Which is, which is sorry, not Paul. much different from the conversation that we've just had. Hey, it's, yeah. it's, it's a continuum of that, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the foreigner sentiment. But if we didn't talk about this, I mean, you saw even from our audience, people wanted to know what you thought, what Leto thought, what I thought, what Ernst thought. And, and now we've hopefully addressed that. There are some other things that we want to get to. So let's talk about foreigner sentiment in government. We know that there's this huge thing going on at the moment. We saw in, I think it was in Attridgeville just the other day, uh, there was a massive protest where Operation Dudula and um, the EFF were at loggerheads about the use of our hospitals, our government hospitals, by foreigners who come in either because of trauma or because of disease or because of general medical issues. And they obviously need to use some health facility everywhere, anywhere. I mean, what are they meant to do, go and die in the fields? Um, but this is not acceptable to the people of Operation Dudula. And the EFF are standing strong, saying there's some pan-African element to this, which we need to pay attention to. In between is obviously the Department of Health. And we need to now consider whether or not they are actually in a position to offer medical care to people who are not South African citizens. And if so, uh, how, how much do the taxpayers of South Africa have to bear in terms of treating people who are illegal immigrants to the country? I mean, we don't doubt for a second that anyone who's come to live here deserves a basic amount of medical care. And we've discussed xenophobia on the show before. But where do you think this is all going, Leto? I think this is going the wrong direction, right? Where it's being weaponized by the ANC to to sort of distract us from the real card game that's actually happening. I think that's mm. the first point of departure we must take. Is that but we need to address this because it's important, right? The way in which Operation Dudula is pressing the ANC into an uncomfortable corner, one, is telling of how scared the ANC is of losing the next election. Right? Because Operation Dudula for the most part is not some large movement of South Africans. It's just like a bunch of people from Soweto, right? But then at the end of the day, they're being taken as the highest voice when it comes to foreigner sentiment. Because at the end of the day, we must admit certain things, right? One, the first thing we must admit is yes, the South African medical system, especially the public health system, has been overwhelmed. But the foreigners are not the biggest part of that, right? We must also acknowledge that the mismanagement of these hospitals is the worst part of it. So we can actually accommodate everyone like we always have been doing. The problem comes that when the resources are limited by the corruption, right? You look at um, Baraguana, they said what they were quoted 70,000 rand for one bucket on the other, on, on some tender, right? And so yeah. when you're looking at those things, those are the problems of the system. And then it's much easier to just point at the foreigners and say, no, 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 it's actually them who are making the problem for us, right? And then we must also talk about the foreigners themselves because I think it's very important to also not suffer from the single narrative and say, oh, but all foreigners need protection and all foreigners are like these great, wonderful people. Because if you think about it, if you take, if we let's reduce it down to a simple place, like and say South Africa is a house, right? And we have guests, right? These foreigners are guests here. And they are good guests and they are bad guests. Because at the end of the day, right, the, the people who are complaining about foreigners aren't really complaining about foreigners. They're complaining about groups of foreigners. They're complaining about the Basutu with the violence and the guns. They're complaining about the Zimbabweans and how they come and use resources. And then lastly, they're complaining about the Mozambicans. They don't complain about the Namibians. They don't complain about the Congolese. I've never heard somebody complaining about the Kenyans. I heard there's a huge community of Kenyans in South Africa, and nobody ever complains about them. And so we must also discuss how, like, people like the Nigerians, right? People always say, yeah, Nigerians are the scapegoat. But if you look at the South Asian countries, there are countries that have, like, six-month bans for Nigerians, right? Say, so, no, no. In these six months, Nigerians can come, right? Hmm. Um, Dubai, for instance, um, had a similar ban. So in the next seven months, um, Nigerian males from the ages of 16 to 35 can't come into Dubai, right? And so if you're wow. thinking about that, it means there's a bad guest element to it. 
And so this whole xenophobia thing is also valid. But then also it's it's a guilt card in the single narrative for South Africans say, yeah, you hate yourself, you hate Africans. But when in actual fact, mm-hmm. we must get a nuanced perspective of everything to say, who are the people complaining, one, and what are they complaining about and what groups are they complaining about? Because Aaron Mutualedi, on the other hand, right, he isn't complaining about either of these people. He's complaining about the Bangladeshis, Pakistanis, and the uh, Somalians who own shops in the, in the townships. That's who, who he's focusing on in his raids on his department. Whenever people are arrested, it's Bangladeshi nationals um, getting names like Tabo Mufukeng and all of those things. And so you, you think about well, it. There's I'm, a I'm bad gonna, element to it. There is. And, and I'm going to read just quickly from a, an article that uh, features Aaron Motswaledi when he, when he um, spoke in 2018 on this matter. Uh, he said, foreign nationals are burdening the South African health system. On the second day of Labor Union, National Education, Health and Allied Workers Union, Nurses Summit in Johannesburg, the summit looked at issues that nurses are facing, blah, 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 blah. It goes on to say, more hospitals and clinics are needed to accommodate all the local and foreign patients. He says South Africa needs to relook at this. Apparently, the majority of people going into clinics uh, in South Africa are foreigners. That's according and this to is the, at the, the time when he minister. was still the Minister of Health. Correct. That he was, was the still the Minister, minister of Health. Because now so, what, I mean, uh, so we've got to we've got to navigate this carefully because if all those places are being taken up by foreigners, if our infrastructure is being used, and again, I've got to differentiate here between the illegal immigrants and the and the people who are allowed to be here because they've gone through the right processes and whether they're trying to become citizens or they're just uh, migrant laborers or whatever they might be, if they've done it right, we don't have an argument with them, right? I mean, as a country, we should be providing care to anyone who's legitimately in the country, even if they're just here on holiday. Um, if, so we have, if we have a limited amount of resource available, we have to look after it. The, the, this is the thing, right? And this is, it's, it seems like a theme for me today. But this is the thing about the rabbits, is there are a whole number of issues. And as Leto like, rightly pointed some of them out, Right. And all of those. So the ones that are are being allowed to overrun the rabbits that are being allowed to overrun the narrative and the media and 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 uh, are the ones that take. So Operation Dudula, for instance. Mm. Right. Can you believe the amount of airtime Operation Dudula gets in the national press? Amazing. Amazing. Weeks ago, the whole operation to do like things that I remember here in the comments and, I, and somebody said I'm very disparaging about Mtatalax. Uh, when I when I said that he is like is like a fire that's been made with papers and is going to fizzle out very soon. And today we said and he has been disavowed by the operation to do like people. He must be mm. somewhere like sucking his finger in the fetal position in a corner somewhere because now not having any media. But, and he, at the time, he was everywhere. He was on every radio yeah. station. He was on every oh, we TV tried, station. We tried to get him on, and he was too busy for us. <laughs> I'm sure he'll come on if you ask him now. But <laughs> he's missing the limelight. This is the, the rabbit that is, that is allowed to... The, the Galafon Hospital story that you talk about, right, with the EFF and, and the... And, and the altercations. Where were the police? Operation Tutula is allowed to absolutely demonstrate. They can demonstrate outside that hospital, but there should have been a police presence to keep them in check. What kind of, where do they get the authority to be checking people that are walking in and out of the gates to say, what is this? Are you like... What bullshit is that? Where were the police? But the rabbit is Operation Tutula and EFF have altercations. And we're not talking about the failure, the systemic failure of the police and policing system and keeping the country in check, right? We're not talking about that for this week. We're just talking about Operation Tutula and the EFF. We're not. Then then we have the video by Bobi Ramatoba, right? MEC. Yeah, yeah she's the what? MEC for Popo. Health. Yes, health in Mbopo. 
huge rabbit. Now everybody is asking, what she is supposed to do? Could she, why is she doing this? Yes, the foreigners are a problem. Where is the video of fucking Bobby telling of her comrades in their policy conferences about what is their foreign policy? What is their foreign policy? And why is it that they were querying the quiet diplomacy of their foreign policy around our neighbors, Zimbabwe in particular? That is what we are reading today. Where's her video of outrage about that? Where's her video of outrage about the policing failing at the border? Where is that video of outrage? Right? But no, the, the foreigners, and yes, Bobby was right, and maybe <laughs> this is being distracted from the absolute failure that Cyril Ramaphosa and his entire cabinet are. That is what we are distracted from. So no one said in the conversation that Cyril Ramaphosa is actually a failure. That Cyril Ramaphosa, again, because people thought Cyril, the Ramaphoria has now worn yes. out and people cannot stand and say, mm, maybe we were wrong. Maybe it is not who leads this party that so, is the problem. It is this party that is the problem. So we've got, we've got just a few minutes left and I want to hear what both of you have to say about opposition politics and coalition politics because there was an interesting research survey which I sent to you yesterday, Pumi, from the Social Research mm, Foundation about the opinions of registered voters in South Africa about coalition politics. So voter perceptions of a coalition future, most people strongly agree and smaller groups somewhat agree, somewhat disagree and strongly disagree. But it seems that the majority of people in the country seem to have a positive view of a coalition future. However, among those people, the group that has the worst view of this are um, the DA, DA and Action SA. Um, which is interesting. Action SA has got the worst view of coalitions. Than the now, these are the two groups who probably need to be part of any coalition, and yet they have a, a poor view of what might happen there. Uh, the, the, the parties who seem in most in favor of coalitions are the ANC, EFF, Freedom Front Plus are the highest, and then all other registered voters, um, which, which <laughs> is about 60.8% of the total. Um, there are also a couple other interesting graphs here. The political market for coalitions is one that I saw as well. Voters who strongly are in favor of coalitions as necessary and the future and support the idea of a grand coalition are by far the majority of the population here. Uh, certainly in this group that was surveyed, uh, it's just under 50% of people think that that is what the future is which is a majority in this group because everyone who says, no, no, they're very negative to the idea of coalitions. That only makes up about 8 or 9% of the total. So what do you guys think the future is when it comes to coalitions? Because we've seen them fall apart. We've seen them work. Um, so, okay, for me, right, the coalitions that are along narrow lines, so DA, Action SA, um, DA and Mampela Rampela's, uh, uh, what do you call um, party, like uh, all of uh, those uh, ones, right? Ahang, uh, uh, yes. All of those uh, are along like these narrow lines. Um, EFF, PAC will never work. EFF, ANC actually will also never work. And so actually what we need to be thinking about is those, for me, those diametrically opposed coalitions. EFF and Freedom Front Plus. Because I think there the compromises necessary for actual change will be made, right? Where we know ideologically, we don't like you, we don't like you, but we need to serve somebody that we do like, the South Africans and their votes. Because right now, what you see falling apart is the, is the coalitions that are closely, closely aligned. One, somebody throws a jab, Skinheads and says, oh, all the other parties are weak, we're the best, and the next week, Action SA is saying, we're thinking of going out of this coalition. And so, mm -hmm. if you think about it, one jab from the ones who are closely aligned is actually saying it's like a faction of the same party. And so, the factionalism, the, the nature of the faction in and of itself creates a sort of like a maelstrom that you're going to, at the end, just going to be swallowed up by. And so, I think the, the diametrically opposed parties must start thinking about each other in very friendly terms and see how their compromises would actually help South Africa. Well, you know pumps? that's why, you know that's why parliaments are captured in a semicircle like this, and the people on the far left 
closest to the people of the far right because actually mm. their ideologies, the motivations for their ideologies might be different, but their ideologies are actually very close to each other. Um, but, you know, the thing for me about coalitions, and I know why the ANC is, or people who vote for the ANC are strongly in favor of coalitions because one of two things is going to happen in 2024. The ANC is either going to lose or it is going to win. And if it loses, they are already thinking about what they need to do to keep their power. And that's what a coalition would be for them. Mm-hmm. Right. I, the, the DA, do you remember that there was that, that voice note that was making the rounds of a presentation that um, Helen Zilla did, where she was talking about a strong opposition and that the DA really needs to consider how it can be a strong opposition and build up because even for her at the time she was talking about how she cannot see the DA getting over more than 20% Mm. of the vote and therefore they need to use that 20% of theirs effectively to push their policies so I can see why they would think about coalitions because they cannot see themselves as a governing party right that's why they don't behave that way you know when you talk about my with my marketing uh, hat and communications hat on they are quite happy to be a challenger brand and they cannot see themselves as a brand that is a number one brand that's a problem so i can see why they would want <laughs> to get into a coalition but i think mm-hmm. one of the things that's the biggest problems for south africans is none of these guys other than the anc and they use our money and other people's money to talk about, you know, to, to talk about what they think their policies are, that they think it's things that we want to hear. We don't hear enough about what any of these other people's policies are. Therefore, even as we think about coalitions, we're not quite sure what they are coalitioning. Yeah, that's behind. true. And some, right? some of, these parties, of the- these parties aren't even engaged in policy discussion. They're really just out there spreading rhetoric and trying their, their best to just win the vote. After the vote, their work is done. You know? And the way they're trying yeah. to win the vote is by telling us that they are not the ANC. People are kind of going, yeah, you're not the ANC, but what really are you? What do you stand for? Yeah. We because, just want the ANC out. <laughs> and the reason why the ANC loves coalitions as well is that they buy coalition partners with positions. So the ANC doesn't come to a coalition and say, hey, Gareth, so what, do you, what does your party think about South Africa? They say, listen, Gareth, if you give us these votes, we're going to make you mayor in that city there. We're going to make you municipal manager here. We're going to make you that. And that's the reason why COPE was throwing hands the other day, right? Was because they were fighting over the scraps of the ANC. And these smaller parties, this, this is the direction they're going. They had like this, this old man who looked like he had four or five 20 year old kids saying, I'm the leader of the youth movement. Why was I not invited? And there's there's an old man also telling us, yeah, you know, I had cancer, almost died, but don't worry. I'm fine. I'm fresh. I'm still going to represent you. And so the way in which South African parties in and of themselves operate needs to change. Because you can't have Terrell telling us that he nearly died of cancer, but don't worry, I'm fresh. I'm skinny, not because I nearly died, but because I jog every day. And so all of those small little things, the parties are not operating. Like my, my favorite parties to talk to you about, to show you what South African parties are, are the UDM and COPE. If you want to see what a South African party is, look at those two. Bantu Olomis is not not recruiting anyone for any purpose to come and dethrone him. (laughs) Teralikota is not... Teralikota is happy holding a rally in a tent somewhere in a neighborhood. He's happy. (laughs) He's content with that. And so that's the South African politician we're dealing with. The, yeah. the, 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 the run-of-the-mill South African politician is not Julius Malema, is not boisterous, is not trying to talk about anything, is not trying mm. to challenge the system. They're just trying to make it into parliament. ACDP's yeah. leader, the Reverend. Ah, uh, Reverend is also... Kenneth Mishra only talks about not teaching children about sex and abortion. And then him and his wife go there gallivanting to the parliament every time. Yeah. His wife no, is present right. every time. Every time PAC. Parliament sits. Where's the PAC? Every time Parliament sits. Our PAC is actually the PAC. The PAC has five five uh, NECs. Five. If you get it, I'm getting you now. 
Come try to get the PAC here with you. You will have 40 people on this live stream now. <laughs> you know, right, they are the ones that brought the motion of no confidence against the speaker here in Joburg. And the motion yeah. carried because of the coalition with the small parties. So I'm just saying, put the PAC at your own peril. <laughs> Guys, we're out of respect on their name. We're out of time, but it was worth it was worth those extra few minutes to hear Lito go on about uh, Monsieur Lakota and, and Bajolo Misa. All right, we will see you soon, uh, Lito. Very good to have you back, and we'll we'll catch up. We were meant to talk a little bit more about Velcom, but we'll we'll get to that in a, in a future episode. Thanks for your time this morning, Pumi. We will see you next week. We love you, Bye, guys.